Welcome to another week of our uh, podcast here. We are still in the middle of our epic series over the summer. Uh, if you were able to join us on Sunday, you heard us talk a little bit about uh, Rakshak and Benny, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but we're going to dig in a little deeper today and talk about maybe some thoughts we've had since then. So we're in, um, I guess this is week nine of epic or week um, 10? 10, I think. Wow, we've been in it a Double long digits. time. Double digits. So. <laughs> And, and we have a, a couple more weeks after this week uh, of, of the epic series. And, and what we've been doing is we've been tracing through uh, the story of Israel, uh, basically from the time of Joshua uh, through the time of exile, and the exile, the, the Babylonian exile. And so we, we've talked about Joshua, and we talked about uh, Gideon, and we've, we've talked about King David, and we, we've talked about... Um, uh, and, and so now we're, we're into the exile. So you've had this period of kings, uh, and, and the people of Israel, the children of Israel, have been unfaithful, and so God has sent them into exile. And so these are stories from the exile. And the, this is Daniel's group, which includes Rack, Shack, and Benny, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so that's where we'll pick up. Yeah. <clears throat> so uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel, uh, are, are kind of the, this group of of Israelites who are uh, living in exile and uh, kind of trying to determine that tension of how they live in exile faithfully to God and um, they're 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 doing well. They kind of actually worked their way up and have been in good graces with uh, the, with the kingdom and King Nebuchadnezzar uh, and things are going well. But uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, we're going to be in Daniel three and I'm, I'm going to summarize just a few verses and then I'll read some verses so that we kind of get the, the gist of the story. But uh, King Nebuchadnezzar had kind of made this uh, this gold idol um, and, and kind of commanded that uh, the people of Babylon would, would bow down to this. And this was kind of like a symbol of all things kingdom of Babylon. Like it just represented the, the greatness of, of their, their kingdom and, and demanded that when the music was played... And, they list all these instruments. When the music is played, then every person will bow down to this representation of this great uh, kingdom. And so in that, uh, there's a little bit of a problem because there's some people that, that don't actually follow those rules. And so we'll pick up, I'm just going to read from verse 8 uh, that kind of uh, fills us in on what's happening here. So verse 8 in Daniel chapter 3 says, At this time some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, May the king live forever. Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, uh, I don't know how to, zither, zither, whatever, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold. And that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold that you have set up. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned the three guys. So these men uh, were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now when you hear the sound of the music, if you are uh, ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you'll be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue from rescue you from my hand? So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. 
But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. So Nebuchadnezzar is mad, and he ordered the furnace to be heated seven times hotter than normal and commanded his soldiers to tie the, the guys up and throw him in. And they throw him in, and uh, the, the furnace is so hot that the, uh, the soldiers actually burn up and die. Uh, but in the midst of this, uh, Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like the son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the burnus, burn, the blazing furnace. <laughs> Words are hard. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So they came out of the fire, uh, and they saw that the fire had not harmed the bodies, uh, nor was the hair of their heads singed, their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. And Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble, for no other god can save in this way. And then he promoted them in the province of Babylon. Well, Mara, you want to take lead today? Sure, sure. Um, so I was looking here at some comments that um, we've been compiling, and um, I think it's really interesting that um, a lot of commentators kind of think that this time period that we're living in now can um, very closely mirror or this idea of, of the church living in exile and this idea of, of refining a remnant and um, kind of those, those patterns that we see all throughout scripture and that there were always kind of these large groups of people that would go into exile, but then small groups of people that would rise up out of that and really continue to further um, the Israelites' history and their, their um, following God. So I, I don't know. What are your, what are your thoughts on that? Does that ring, ring true? Make sense? I think, I don't think there's any question that, that, to a lot of in a lot of respects, we, we live in this exile moment. We're, we're separated from power. Uh, we, we're separated um, from uh, you know culture uh, runs counter to to uh, Christianity in, in many ways. And you know, oftentimes we we fight to change our culture, where the the, the whole goal of this is not to change our culture, but to change us. <laughs> and and that by changing us, then maybe we'll affect our culture. But, but you know, we're not fighting a culture war. We're fighting. Um, we're, we're trying to um, purify ourselves, make ourselves right. And so oftentimes it's in the midst of the, the difficult times and the differences that, that we have to. Uh, you know, when, when there's injustice, that's when you have to seek justice. Uh, you know, love, love overcomes hate and, and kindness overcomes unkindness. And so uh, to the extent that our culture runs counter, and we're in exile in this culture, uh, these things should cause us to strive for more. Yeah. I'm just, I'm intrigued by this, this, uh, uh, this idea of, I mean, I think a lot of Daniel is the story of, of what it looks like to live faithfully uh, in, in exile. Um, I think Scott Daniels from Nampa has a Embracing Exiles book, and there's several other books of that, of what it looks like for us to, faithfully live in exile um, because the truth is is that like you said we're, we're kind of 
in a kingdom that is uh, counter to the kingdom of God. And, uh, and, and we can try to make it more like the kingdom of God, but, but the truth is, is we're, we're in that kind of exile thing. So what does it look like to live faithfully? And I just find it so fascinating, the tension here of uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and even Daniel. Um, I think sometimes we, we get this idea that to live in exile means that like we just totally reject and go against everything in society and just throw it all away and kind of pull ourselves out, um, kind of like that isolationist, whatever, um, or just constantly fighting against it. And that's not what we see here uh, with these guys. I mean, they were in good graces. Like they had made it up to kind of higher ranks within uh, the kingdom. And so that tells me that they weren't fighting against everything every single time. But when it came to that moment of, okay, this is now putting in jeopardy my call to worship the one true God, that's too far. So what, I don't know, do you guys have thoughts on that that tension of kind of not just throwing everything away, but then also, I don't know. If yeah, no, as you're talking, I was thinking back to, um, and you read part of Jeremiah 29 on Sunday. Uh, the part we know really well is I know the plans I have for you. Like if you back up a few yeah. verses before that, I think it's really interesting, um, like some of God's instructions as they were in Babylon is to, um, this is so good, want to look it up, Jeremiah 29, kind of starting in verse 4, um, so I'm about like build houses, settle down, plant gardens, eat what they produce, marry, all of these things. And then it says, um, verse seven, like pray for the, pray for the land that you're in, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. And so I feel like there is very much that, um, idea that even in the midst of, of exile or feeling that like that we very much, our hearts are for whatever community we're in, whatever place we're in. And we aren't fighting to regain power, but we are we're working to build his kingdom here. His kingdom is not of this world, and so it's never going to look or be built the way that kingdoms in this world are. And so I think it's, um, yeah, I think it's really important to not pull ourselves out. Sometimes we hear that, like, in the world but not of the world, and then we think, like, oh, well, that just means I'm going to be in my bubble because I'm physically here. But I think there is a sense of, sense of participation mm-hmm. in, in our communities, in the world around us, with an eye towards building building the kingdom. I think that scripture actually says somewhere in there, seek the welfare yep. of yeah. the city. Yep. That, that there's mm-hmm. the, there, and so, so live in exile yeah. means that we seek the yeah. welfare of where we're planted. So if we're in exile here, that means that we seek the welfare of Marysville. Mm-hmm. That we seek, right. and, and the scripture says, guys, what, what's good for Marysville is good for you. Right. <laughs> that if you bless Marysville, guess what? Marysville can bless you back. Uh, and, and, and so, um, yeah, I think that's important, and it is, there is a tension uh, to be to be apart but be different. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and, and, I, and if you're truly not apart, I don't know that. Um, I don't think you can fulfill scripture not being apart to, to withdraw. And, and you you've seen lots of people uh, that that withdraw. I, I think later in the notes, I had talked about um, in in my part um, blending in. Uh, you know how how do you not blend in, but you still are apart? What's the balance? Yeah, well, let's talk about that for a second because I feel like when we look at um, and again, like I feel like Daniel is such a great book that has so many examples of of what it looked like when they would stand out. And I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong. But like I don't really see in any of those that there was a um, like a, a huge conflict in that, like the 
Jewish people were trying to draw attention to the ways that they were standing out. It was just that it would cause conflict because it it's, it contrasted with the way that other people were living. So I think sometimes we, we fight or we want to stand out, but we do it in a way like where we want to make sure everybody knows that we're trying to stand out. And I don't, I, I don't know. What, what, that's, yeah, that's pretty fascinating because it is. I mean, they were like, you know, we think of them, you know, they stood up for they believed in. And so that in turn made them stand out. But man, they were not asking for that attention of standing out, right? There, like there was no like parade of like, I'm not going to do that. Um, I'm not going to follow King Nebuchadnezzar. It was just, that's just what they were doing. Yeah. And yeah, that, that's fascinating. I hadn't thought about that. I think they only stood out because they stood out for their integrity. I mean, because it, it, the way the scripture is written, it says these three guys that you put in positions. So, so you know, there is this concept of, oh, everybody is bound down and there's these three guys. I'm not sure if that's the case or not. But these three guys that you put in positions of authority, they're refusing to bow down. So so they had, or, they had stood out for their integrity before they stood out in their, their refusal to, to bow down to... To the idol, so I don't know. I don't know. They may have been the only two guys. They may have been tuna fish with ketchup. And mayo. I don't know. <laughs> but, but, I, but I don't know that that's necessarily. I think what stood out is he had promoted them. Yeah. They were important. Uh, they were men of integrity, mm-hmm. and, and I think that hurt maybe even more that because they were men of integrity, uh, that they were refusing to bow. Yeah, yeah. So there, there's that like idea of, am I standing out because I'm just following Christ and doing what he's called us to do? Or am I standing out because I'm like, I want people to know that I'm, right. you know what I mean? Like, look at me, I'm really taking a stand here and that kind of thing. Um, yeah. Well, you, you saw that, I, I'll never forget, it's been years ago, um, and, and some of the more legalistic things that we would do as a church, um, and, and I can't remember exactly the way phrased it, but my uh, my sister-in-law's father was uh, the art professor at Olivet for years, and, and he he taught Sunday school up there, one of those one of those churches near Olivet, and he talked about being a um, a streetlight <laughs> or a road sign, and and as we stand out, I mean you can you can stand out as a streetlight, and it's all about you, <laughs> it's all about your integrity. Look at me, or do you stand out in a way that directs people to the kingdom? Mm-hmm. And, and I think they, you know, and they're standing out. They, you know, they stood out with their integrity, but then they stood out by saying, "We can't worship." Yeah. It wasn't anyone. a stand out to look at me. It yeah. was just a stand out because it's just pointing to God. Like right. That. That's good. That's yeah. Good. I think that like it just draws into, and this is what where I've been like, what like at what point is it that we stand up and say? No, I can't do that. Like, are, are there times where we have um, maybe st- uh, stood up and, and, and taken a stand for things that like aren't quite to the point of I don't, I don't know how to word exactly what, <laughs> what I'm thinking in my head here, um, but they were they were willing to to do what was necessary in the kingdom to even get to the point of um, uh, being in good graces, raising up in the ranks. But there did come a point, and so I guess how do we know what that point is where, okay, this is the line, and I'm not going to cross that. 
and have we blurred that line in either direction? I guess um, how do we how do we determine what that what that line is? And, and culture culture culture's natural um, force is to conform. I, I mean, let, let's that that is the whole source of advertising is that everybody does this, so you should do this too. Everybody looks like this, you should look like this too. And so there there is a conforming nature of culture. Um, and I think we have to be aware, beware of it. And, and sometimes it's okay. I mean, so, so sometimes it doesn't take our integrity away. But but we need to be at least aware of it. Um, you know, I keep thinking of a couple of, of legal terms that w- when they wouldn't change laws or they wouldn't overrule laws, and they've talked about slippery slope, that once you start down that slippery slope, you know, it's easy. But the, the one that keeps coming through my mind is uh, they would say, once the camel gets his head into the tent, it's not long till his whole body's in it. And so, so sometimes our, our compromises may not seem major. You know, maybe maybe we won't stand up when we should. Maybe we'll just be quiet when something that, um, that we should probably address is going on. Uh, you know, maybe maybe a student in school is, is sitting in a classroom and, and somebody says something, uh, you know, racially, whatever, negative. And the easiest thing to do is just to blend in. Pretend like you didn't hear it. Pretend like you didn't hear it. Yeah. Uh, but, but as I read this story, I, I think there's a call to stand up even when it's uncomfortable. Yeah. I think it's interesting you use that phrase, slippery slope, but I feel like a lot of people that and they'll talk about that being like a logical fallacy like that people will sometimes rely on that idea like well if I do this it's then it's going to be this then it's going to be this then it's going to be this and like that's that that's using a slippery slope that's not actually how things work but then I'm also sitting here going like the principle of inertia like in science is like things at rest kind of stay at rest and once you get over you overcome that amount of friction to get moving it's that much easier to start moving so I feel like sometimes like those ideas almost run counter to each other because there is an extent to where if I just sit and say nothing say nothing it becomes harder and harder each time to actually say something to actually do something whereas if yeah you take those small chances you do you kind of almost like build up build up your courage build up your um, your willingness to speak up as the stakes get higher and, and you, culture's more than just big culture culture's culture in our homes yeah but we have a culture in our home we have a culture in our church um, and and you know those those cultures are built time after time after time of doing things a certain way. And and when you begin to do things different, <laughs> you, you, you know, if, if you were to come in Sunday morning and I were preaching, preaching from the back and you guys would notice it because you're used to us being up front. And uh, or even if we change the order of service, uh, you know, sometimes we change chairs in here and, and some of you have found, had heart attacks. But, but, you know, culture has, culture's everywhere. Uh, you know, it's a, in your workplace, in your school, you know, in homes, uh, in our church. Yeah. So I think, man, I'm just thinking through that. Like, where's that line of, okay, what do I stand up for and what do I, can I be okay with? Uh, and then, so I like thinking it, I mean, obviously a good model to look at would be Jesus, right? Like, I'm just thinking there's times where he says, you know, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. Like, pay the taxes, he's on. So that's like a, okay, just do that. But then there's other times where he's standing up against and he's subversive and, and kind of 
so like even Jesus shows us this, these different and, and just in thinking of that like Jesus is a lot of times when I see Jesus kind of standing up and, and pushing back being the subversive if you will is when it comes to other people being oppressed or marginalized right like that that would seem to be a no, I don't that I don't know how that directly ties to Shadrach Meshach and Abednego but that's just a thought that I had yeah less about his personal rights and more about giving voice and stuff. Yeah. That's yeah. good. That's which is, yeah. yeah, that's good. Yeah. Oh. I feel like there's a lot here. I don't know. As I read this, that phrase always sticks out to me is that whole idea when they're talking. And I, I love that it's just like almost like a very measured conversation where they're just kind of laying out the reasons why they couldn't bow down. And we know that this may cause, like, you can put us in fire. And our God can save us. In that phrase, like, even if he doesn't. I feel like our our culture, our, a lot of songs even have really latched onto that phrase and that idea of like recognizing God's sovereignty, his power, his ability to, to make the impossible happen, but then almost wrestling with that idea of like, even if he doesn't. And so I don't know, how does that kind of, how does that help when we're in the hard times? How, but I, how does that not come off as just like a flat, well, he could, but if he doesn't, like we're okay either way. Right. Yeah, I mean, it, their their allegiance goes deeper than than their their personal safety, mm-hmm. and their and their and whether God will deliver them in that moment, or whether God will deliver them at some other time. So, so, so I don't think they're saying, uh, "Well, God may come through, God may not come through." I think what they're saying is, "God may come through in this time, or God may come through in some other way." Our God is going to come through, <laughs> yeah. and so whether you kill us or don't kill us. Our God is true and good, and that's why He is God alone. And so I, that, that's a hard balance, particularly in our culture, when we live in our culture, uh, because we live with such an immediate answer. Needed. I mean, if, if, if we need to find something out, we just look up on Google. Yeah. Uh, you know, if we want something cooked, we just use the microwave. So we're an immediate society that God doesn't always respond. And I, and I think that's a that's a big way. That, that we can live contrary to our culture is that we can choose to live slower in the midst of the speed of our culture. And, you know, that's the importance of like a Sabbath. You know, our culture says production's everything, and the people of God say, no, production isn't everything. Relationships are what matter. Relationships with God, relationships with my family. And so I, I'm going to take time, and I'm going to rest. That is a counter-cultural thing. Giving. Our culture says, accumulate and and we as the people of God say no. We think it's good to give back, uh, whether as tithe or offering or just gifts. We believe in giving, and so there's lots of things that um, and I don't know if I'm answering your question or not, but I feel like I kind of diverted here halfway through the sentence. But, but there's lots of things that we do that we're saying. Listen, in the immediate. In the immediate, this money would be better in my bank account than yours. But I'm not living for the immediate. I'm living for the long haul. Yeah. And also not living for self. Like, I, I, like, when they're saying, even if he doesn't, like, to me, they're showing, like, my allegiance to God and my standing up for God is not dependent on what I get out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's dependent on who God is, which is just a a huge, like, it has huge implications to say that what I do for God is not dependent on 
what I get out of it. It's good. who he is. That's good. It's not dependent on whether or not God is going to, like, we'll stand up, but then if he doesn't come through, then, man, I'm going to denounce him. Right? Yeah. Like, it's, no, I'm standing up. I'm worshiping because of who God is, not what he does for me. That's good. I see. Right, the idea of worshiping. And I love that you said on Sunday that they could have found ways to justify pretty much any action. Like, oh, bowing down, well, that's not quite worship. Worship means something different to us. And, and that there could have been ways that they probably could have circumvented this whole situation. Um, so when they talk about worshiping, what, is, what does that really mean? What is encompassed in that idea of worship in your mind? I think in this, you know, I have a, like I have a definition for worship that I use, but I don't know that it's necessarily helpful here. I think here it's all based on um, kind of uh, expressing lordship uh, or, or kind of claiming who is lord. And this is this is a point where we're you know they're deciding um, is King Nebuchadnezzar or even the kingdom of the world lord or is God lord? And so I, I think in this particular instance kind of that declaring who is Lord in my life. Yeah. That's yeah. good. Yeah, I was kind of thinking, like, for me, when I think about it, I'm like, almost like that, what is the thing that my life is oriented around, that my that right. I exist for the for the pleasure, for the glory of, of what thing, what what is the essence of, of my existence? And, yeah, and in that sense, it's like, is it for this kingdom? Is it for this king? No, like, that's where I think they felt that, like, we don't exist to, to worship and bring honor and glory to this human being, this physical kingdom, um, and that bowing down to that would have would have said that in fact that that is what the purpose of their life was. I feel like you're probably going to have a whole big idea on worship. Ball. No, no, I, I think that's good. <laughs> um, I, I would say this, just because we're kind of probably coming close to a minute for us this time, is exile is not bad, it's good. Exile is refining. And exile forces us, allows us to determine what's Lord in our life. Uh, I mean, so, so you know, the people of Israel's history, not in exile, is not good. <laughs> you know, they, they, they're set up idols right and left. They, and, and consistently they would worship God, but they would set up the, the other idols as well. So they, they always hedged their bets. Um, exile sometimes forces us wilderness does as well, to determine who we're going to depend on. Now, now I think in wilderness, and it seems like we talked about this, or I preached on this, in wilderness you don't choose. You just got to depend on God. In exile, you have to choose. You have to say, okay, I, I, can, I can bow down to Nebuchadnezzar. I can just worship my job, or my family, or my, my, my school, or, or my position, or my education. Or am I going to say God is the priority? And, and I think in exile, uh, you're refined because that's the choice you have to make. Uh, our culture, you know, I'm not advocating cultural wars. Don't don't mishear me. But there is a there is a a tide, a current that runs against that. And and, the, and you can blend in, you can just be a part. Uh, but God's saying, listen, even in the midst of exile. And and I'll be with you <laughs> in the midst of the fire. You may not be happy with the momentary results, uh, but I'll be with you. 
that's really good. I think it's, yeah, important to, I like that differentiation between wilderness and exile. And, like, yeah, wilderness is just something that I feel like is more of that, like, that pain and suffering, just that time of just walking and wandering. And um, But exile doesn't have to be that time of, of pain and suffering. Like, I'm sure there were plenty of moments that, yeah, they're, they're living, um, fulfilling lives. And when I think about, like, where we each, we all live in homes that are comfortable. We have people around us. We have like so even when we talk about being church in exile we're also living productive fulfilled lives and i think the the tension comes in how do we how do we draw others into the community and the support that we find in being part of a church when sometimes when our lives look very different to to any anybody in our culture so how do we kind of maintain that counterculturalism while we also though are still very much benefiting from being in our culture, being in our community. <laughs> that was a, that was no, a circle. Yeah. It's, it's reminding me of, uh, of Moses as he, uh, so Deuteronomy and the Shema, like the, Moses yeah. is kind of giving them, giving uh, the people of God kind of their speech just before they go into um, the promised land. And so they've been wandering the wilderness um, and, and he's kind of giving them this kind of forewarning that you're going to be living in houses that you didn't reaping harvests that you didn't plant and and there's all of a sudden going to be things competing for your attention whereas before you were wandering in the wilderness and like you had to rely on God and God's presence was very uh, very real and practical and evident I mean bread was falling from the sky you'd say like uh, like it was you were totally dependent and you're getting ready to enter into um, a time where you're going to be there's going to be competition for your attention living a little bit more cushy life. Um, and it's not because of something he did, but his his uh, kind of his instructions in that is love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And so, yeah, man, uh, I love that. The difference between the wilderness and then in the exile. Like, there's, there's that competition. And it's a, like you said, forced or allowed. Like it causes us to make decisions. <laughs> Yeah, there's that competition for our attention, not only our attention, also our, our affection and the things that we love and like the way we orient our, our schedules, our families, our, our money, like those those orientations, those reflect what we hold as most valuable. And so we have all these things competing for our affection, competing for our devotion. I think those are the moments where we kind of have these things where there's, there's going to be more opportunity for you to stand up and say, I'm sorry, that's not going to work for, for my family because this value that we have doesn't allow for us to orient our lives that way or this yeah. this belief that we have doesn't allow me to restructure my, my life around this thing because my life is already structured around God and this thing. Yeah, that's all good. The, the one thing I keep, the word that keeps coming, and it's, it really seems like it doesn't fit as vulnerability. That as I consider this story, that they could not get to this point. You know, and it, it, what it feels like as you're reading the story is it's like standing firm, but there's a vulnerability there. And I, I and, and a vulnerability to be hurt. And and so I, as, as I think about this, in our culture, um, one of the things that we do to avoid being hurt is putting up a shell of barriers. And so I, I believe that to get to this point of rapid, Shaq and Benny, <laughs> that that we have to be willing to say, okay, 
I, I'm going to take shells down and I'm going to be vulnerable to a community yeah. and to God and my culture. My culture is going to see me for who I am. You know, my, my neighbors aren't going to see, you know, a mask, but they're going to see a real breathing, ordinary person that sometimes messes up, sometimes does well, that's doing all they can to follow God. Yeah. I don't know, was that way off? I don't know why that word kept coming. No, but I think it is. I mean, I think there was a time for them to be honest about why why they had made that decision, why they were choosing that path forward. And I think that that is Evan's vulnerability right there. It's when you encounter those things where it's like, who now? I got to show my card. I got to I gotta talk about the things that I value the most. And those are oftentimes the things that we want to keep to ourselves. Because when people know what we value the most, they know how they can hurt us the most. Yeah. Or we, like we, we bring attention to our values, but in a way that is just like, all about me, like, and, and this was a, like, man, I'm not, I don't want to draw attention <laughs> to myself, but like, this is just, this is just where I'm at. I think maybe that, I don't, I don't know where I'm going to go with that. Um, yeah, when we're standing up, we're not standing up to bring attention to ourselves. We're not, we're, not, we're also not, they were not, like, I, I don't see any sort of, like, rally cry for their fellow Israelites. Yeah. Like, come on, like, let's let's get together and, and just, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's just a, you know, this is who we are. It's only us. Where was Daniel? Yeah. I right? know. Yeah. Well, so, and it's, we talk about, like, holiday, like, standing up or standing out. It very easily could have been the flip side, that when you heard this music, you were supposed to stand up and start dancing, and they would have been the ones sitting. Like, so sometimes I feel like the action, the action isn't always that I'm going to stand up and that's what brings the attention. It's, it can just be, yeah, a refusal to participate. Mm. Um, we talked about playing the games that some people play. It's sometimes it's a withdrawing from that that type of an interchange or exchange. Well, I think our bad time is up. Yeah, I think so. Who wants to pray us out? Those guys. <laughs> I did last week. So. All right, I guess I got it this week. All right, Heavenly Father, Lord, we are so thankful um, for this time together, Lord, for this discussion, um, these moments where we can really just just talk this out together, Lord, and, and, um, and hope to see some some direction, some um, encouragement come out of this, Lord. Um, these are these are difficult times. There's there's no there's no escaping the differences in, in viewpoints, perspectives, um, approaches, worldviews, Lord. Um, but somehow, through it all, Lord, we recognize you have called us to not only live in this time, Lord, you've placed us here, but also, Lord, to, to live above, above the, the waves, above that, the noise that can, can distract us, can, can pull us away from, from focusing on you. So, Lord, um, this week, I pray that you would just help us to, to see more clearly those moments where um, it would be easier to say nothing, but yet we know we should say something. Or the times when it would be easier to say something, engage in an argument, but yet we know that you're calling us to to peace and to quiet and to listen. Um, Lord, we love you and we trust you um, in this moment, just like we trusted you in the past, Lord. And we know that you're not not finished working in our church, in our community, and in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless.